You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 John chapter 2. We're currently in a study of the book of 1 John, moving through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse as we do here at Calvary Chapel. And today we're going to be beginning chapter 2, and we're going to be seeking to cover just two verses today. Just two verses this morning, verses 1 and 2, and if you are taking notes, the title of this message is Christ is for us. Christ is for us. And as we have started this book and are going through this book, uh, we like to build background and understand what we're studying, the themes within it. And we know that the book of 1 John, it was written by John, the apostle of Jesus Christ that we see throughout the New Testament. It was written to the global and growing church there at the close to the turn of the first century. And the theme that we have drawn out of this and are going to continue to see consistently through this book is that of walking in the lights. That as believers, we are called to live in the light of Jesus and to live in light of our relationship with Jesus as we walk in this world. And John has already established some pretty substantial aspects of walking in the light thus far as we've covered chapter 1. I mean, just with his opening declaration all the way back when we began our study of who Jesus is, as he called him there, the word of life, that he is the word of life that is eternal. He is the Lord's. And as such, he is eternal. Well, so too does he offer through his finished work on the cross, eternal life, eternal life to every human being that would put their faith in that finished work, that eternal life that, of course, counts for one day in heaven. We look forward to that day, but also to eternal life that we live in light of in the here and now, that we live in light of today as we walk with the Lord, what the entire book of 1 John is really all about. And that eternal life, again, is for one day in heaven, but to be lived out here today, well, it it, it gains us a few things. One of the things that John has hit on is that of fellowship, fellowship with the Lord, which is an amazing blessing, but also fellowship with one another. That as we are believers together with the Lord, but we have fellowship with one another, true, a true bond in the work of Jesus Christ to where we can live our lives supported by Him and by one another. And as well with the Lord, we also experience, John has said, fullness of joy. Whereas we walk in this world, we can have joy no matter what this world throws our way, no matter what it looks like. We know from the Lord and from our relationship with Him that we can have joy in our lives. And John established who Jesus was so that we could know who we are walking with, who we're to put our faith in. But as well as we got started and moved on through chapter one, we also saw, and this was this was last week, that walking in the light should affect the way that we live our lives when it comes to the subject of sin. When it comes to the subject of sin, we are called to live our lives in light of the work that God has done within our lives. And really what John did last week is he drew a line in the sand for all of his readers. For all of the believers that he wrote to, he drew a line in the sand to see whether they were walking in the light as they would claim to or if they were doing something opposite. And really what he did as he did did that is he brought something that was so needed, is so needed for every believer, and that is honesty. He brought honesty to the front and called for honesty within the life of every believer to see whether or not they were truly walking with the Lord. To see if they were claiming walking in the light, but yet still trying to live in the world, still trying to walk in the light, but yet in habitual sin at the same time. And he was very honest. He didn't mince any words. He said, if you seek to claim to walk in the light, but yet you walk in darkness, well, you're a liar. You're a liar. He didn't mince words or hold anything back. 
And he spoke to that, showing that light and darkness, they're diametrically opposed to one another, and they should not exist together. Not only did he speak, though, to habitual sin, but also the occasional sin as well, and asked again for honesty in the life of the believer, to see whether or not, and to admit that, yes, as they walk in this world and walk in the light, that they have not yet arrived, that they are not yet perfected on this side of heaven, that all people, because all people are sinners, well, we still sin. But thankfully, after establishing all this and calling for honesty, what did John do? Well, thankfully, he included for us the truth of verse 9. Telling the believer that there is no use denying a sin nature, that would be ridiculous. But rather to admit sin when one sins. To admit it, to confess it, he said, and to trust that the Lord, well, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And what did he say? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing truth that we saw. And John has established this truth as we've started this short little book. And in the same vein of thought, the same mindset from last week, he carries on into this week as we begin chapter 2. Where you see, John today is going to elaborate more for us on the topic of sin. And more so, more so than sin, though it is a topic that really dominates today, more so he's going to focus on the ability and the willingness of Jesus to deal with sin in our lives. And this message today, though it's over a short amount of Scripture, it is such a good one for us as the church to be reminded of and to hold to our hearts. It's the message that we are all sinners, that we all need a Savior, and it's so encouraging to know that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read the whole of the text. Again, it's just two verses. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 of 1 John 2. We're going to read it to get us started. We're going to pray one more time, and then we will continue on. So you should be there, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John says, My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world's. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And we thank you, God, for your goodness in giving us this day, Lord, the freedom that we have, Lord, in you and the invitation we have from you, Lord, to come into your presence. God, I just thank you for that. And I thank you so much, Lord, for, for your word. It's such a, a mark of your kindness in giving us the Bible and giving us, Lord, minds to study it. I just thank you for that. And I thank you for everyone here that is here to study your word. And God, I ask that as we endeavor to move through this text and seek what you have for us, Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand. Lord, we know that you gave us the Bible to lead our lives. And so, God, we ask now that you would lead us in this time, that you would lead us, you would equip us. And Lord, help us to understand your word. And Lord, we ask for your help and we ask for it expectantly because, God, we know that you desire this. We know that you desire to lead us. So help us here today, God. Be our teacher here today, Lord. We ask that. And we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as John gets started here, we notice that he references all the things that he just spoke of in chapter 1, both again of the danger of habitual sin, as well as the fact that Christians will continue to sin as we live in this world, because again, no one is perfected until they're with Christ. And having done so, John, what he wants to do is continue to show again what walking with Christ looks like, and he wants to speak of the power of Jesus in the life of the believer, the position that Jesus holds when it comes to our walking with him and when we do commit sin. But before he does so, he insightfully writes on a subject that is worth every believer's attention. The reality, really, 
that sin, though it plagues the world and is going to be a consistent thing that the, that the believer wars with in this world, that sin, though it is present, it is something that is avoidable and needs to be avoided. See, the first thing that John writes on here is sin's avoidability. And trust me, that is a real word. I looked it up to make sure. Avoidability of sin. He writes again there in the first part of verse 1. What does he say? He says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. See, John here as he writes, he reflects on what he has just written. And perhaps the Lord prompts him on something that, that could come about with his writing. Some may misunderstand what he's trying to say, which understand would not be out of line for John to think about. You see, John, he, he's again an apostle of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus. He was one of the, the, those apostles that was there at the start of the church. And as such, again, he's the only surviving apostle at this time. And as such, he has seen the other apostles die. He's seen them teach and lead in the church. And as well, he would have access to all of the writings of the other New Testament writers. And perhaps it was the, the, the writings of Paul to the Romans that came to mind as he was thinking on this. You know, the fact that Paul wrote of, of sin and of the human condition of being born into sin and thus being deserving of the wrath of God. Well, perhaps he remembered what Paul wrote and how he wrote to the Romans that though sin is one of these things that we are forgiven for, that living in this world, well, and, and knowing that we're forgiven doesn't give someone, let's say, a, a license to sin or that we are to live any longer in condemnation. You know, again, he would have known well the writings of Paul to the Romans and the fact that Paul spoke of sin and living in a life that is no longer a slave to sin. As if you are positionally in Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. And Paul, he established that. And he established that well as he transitioned from, from, from Romans 3 on into the rest of the book. But perhaps John was thinking there of what Paul penned as he wrote Romans 5 and into Romans 6. Or maybe someone, as, John had, as Paul had established in Romans 5, 20 through 21, saying, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that sin reigned in death, while even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Perhaps, like Paul, John here was thinking, Okay, well, as I have shown that forgiveness for sin is available, well, there may be a danger. A danger of someone thinking that they already arrived, or perhaps that they had a license to sin. Whereas they are in Jesus Christ, and if grace comes because sin abounds, well, why not have more grace? What Paul wrote against there in Romans 6, verses 1 through 2. As he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? See, Paul here is telling the church in Rome, he's like, hey, just because grace abounds where sin is, meaning that Jesus, as he came, he offers, extends the grace of the Lord to us. Hey, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you just go for it so as to heap more grace upon your life. That's not what Paul is saying, nor does John want to give that idea as well. See, John, as he writes here, would be writing with the same thought process, having encouraged the church that though all sin, forgiveness is available, well, there could have easily been two thoughts that came in. Again, reminiscent of what Paul wrote to in Romans chapters 5 and 6, it could be because of verse 9's existence that people would think, well, if there's forgiveness, why not just go for it? If there's forgiveness, I have a license to sin. 
where the fact that sin could be forgiven and whether the reader just wanted to sin or wanted to experience perhaps the forgiveness of the Lord. He's like, I just want the grace and so I'm going to sin. John's like, hey, look, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. I'm writing to you because sin is something to be avoided. Perhaps it was that. Or perhaps it was this second thought that could be in play of the reader having a defeatist mentality and seeing sin as, as inevitable. Seeing sin as this inevitable thing that the believer, though they are in Christ, well, they could never live free in Christ. That sin was something that would come against their life and there was never any escape from it as temptation would come and as sin would be there at their door knocking as you know, God said that it did for Cain there in Genesis chapter, chapters, chapters 4 and, and 5. Well, perhaps the believer would think to themselves, well, that's no use. There's no reason to try to walk in the light because sin is inevitable. There's no way to overcome it. And with these two thoughts perhaps coming out, or John being inspired by the Holy Spirit and wants to cut them off before they bud, whichever it is, he wants to be clear. That the fact of his previous writings of sin and forgiveness give neither a license to sin or a defeatist condemning one only to sin, but rather gives more of a positive and encouraging word to the reader. This encouraging word, that sin, again, though it is present in this world and is present, yes, in our lives, sin, understand, is both avoidable and it is something to be avoided. Sin is both avoidable and something to be avoided. See, John, he doesn't want to sugarcoat sin, but nor does he want the reader to have a defeated mentality believing there's no way to escape sin. So he writes to the church, again, that they may not sin. And this is something so important for us to hear today. These two things are so crucial for us and for our life walking in the lights where we need to know, again, that sin, it's nothing to be trifled with. It is something to be avoided. And that should be a no-brainer. I believe, looking at this room, many of you I know follow the Lord. I don't believe anyone in here would argue that sin is a good thing. And if you want to argue, I'll squash it now, it's not. The Bible says explicitly, sin is not a good thing. It is something to be avoided. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin, all that it earns us, is death. James in James 1.15 tells us that when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. And that's what we see all through the Bible. I mean, as sin entered into the world there in Genesis chapter 3, what did we see there? We saw death spiritually and death physically entered the world as the world began to decay there at the fall. Sin is not something to be invited. Sin should be avoided by the believer at all costs because it only ever causes damage. There's never a time where sin is going to build up. It is only ever going to destroy. And so it needs to be avoided. But also there's a word for us today that sin, and this is so good, that it is something that is avoidable. You see, friends, you and I must understand that though every human is born with a sin nature, that is inescapable. And we all are going to sin. Understand that in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. And there is a big word for all of us there. Where in Jesus Christ, as you are walking with him, the finished work of Jesus on your life, it frees you from the bondage of sin. Meaning that in Christ, you have an option. Meaning that in Christ, you are able to identify with the Lord and so walk in victory. Romans 6.11, as there Paul is speaking of our identification with the Lord, it says there, likewise you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that whole chapter is so good because what Paul is doing 
is he's speaking there of our life identified with Jesus. Whereas Jesus died, was buried, and then was resurrected, well, so too, as we die to our old self, we submit to the salvation that is offered to us. As we die and so identify with his death, burial, and resurrection, we walk in new life. And that new life for us is such a good one because we are no longer slaves to our sin. No longer slaves only to the flesh, our born natural sin nature. But we have an option. We have the ability, we have freedom from sin, from the grip that sin holds in our life. What's more is Paul also writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17, of, of some help that we have. The help that we have in the Holy Spirit. Where he says there that if, if I, say that, I say then walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, Paul there speaks of this, of this conflict that is always arising within the life of the believer. Where we have new life in Jesus. And as you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives within you. That's an amazing thing to know. But what is also amazing to know is that that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us, the third member of the Trinity living in every believer, well, it's warring against our flesh. And that flesh is warring back against the Spirit so that our flesh wants to sin, wants to continue to be built up. But yet, the Holy Spirit is there to aid us, to help us in gaining the victory over sin because we are no longer in Jesus Christ a slave to sin. And so sin Though it is present in this world, and though we will at times, yes, blow it, sin is avoidable through the power and the work of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. And through our relationship with the Lord, our pouring into our relationship with the Lord, as you seek the things of the Lord, seek to walk with Him, as Galatians 5.25 says, if you walk in the Spirit, so walk in step with the Spirit. It's an amazing thing to walk in step, in tandem with Him continually. Well, as you seek to do that, well, then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will not walk in the way of sin because sin, it can be avoided in Jesus Christ. And John writes these things. He says, I wrote all of these things. We're going back up to what he said in chapter one. I wrote all of these things that you may not sin, that you may know that you have an option, that you may know that yes, sin is there tempting and seeking to draw you away, but I'm writing these things so that you would not. John writes to the church, why he writes the things that he does, so that they would not sin. But John then continues on, and he continues on, and he also knew that sin, again, was going to continue to be a struggle for all. Anyone who would say that it's not is a liar. So he wants to encourage the believers, again, by pointing their attention to Jesus, which is always the best place to point anyone's attention, ours, ours, ours especially. When things going, are going wrong, when we're depressed, when we're sad, when we're struggling with sin, Jesus, well, he's always the one to focus on. And so John, he wants to point out to the reader really two things that Jesus has to, do, has to deal with with our lives in him, and really two aspects of who Jesus is to every believer. That, and he wants to show us that Christ, as we walk with him, that he is someone who is reliable and who also has the credentials in which we can rely on him. We're going to look at these two things, the reliability and the credibility of Jesus wrapped up here in these verses, starting with the reliability. For the second part of verse 1, what does it say there? It says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. 
If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. There's two words in these verses that we're going to seek to expound on. And the first one there is that word advocates. And the word advocate there in the Greek, it's the word perikletos. It's a fun word to say, and it has a really good meaning. As we see it there, it means and speaks of one who comes along or who is called alongside to help in time of need. Your translation of the Bible may have it as helper. And if you are familiar with John chapters 14 through 16, well, then as Jesus was there speaking there in the upper room to his disciples before he went to the crucifixion, well, he spoke of the helper. He spoke of the paraclete, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, who would come and help and aid the disciples, aid the church as Jesus went to be with the Father. It's this amazing thing to think about how we have a helper. We have an advocate. We have a helper with the Holy Spirit, but we also have an advocate with Jesus. And this is the same word there. It's this amazing thing. And it's even more amazing because when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, well, this word, perikletos, well, it not only means one who comes alongside, but it also can mean one who lends his voice in defense of another or one who speaks up on behalf of someone else. And really what we're supposed to see with this word advocate is we're supposed to have this image of a courtroom. That's the best way to think about this is a courtroom. And we're all familiar with this, no doubt, whether you've been in court yourself or you've watched reruns of Judge Judy or whatnot as you're getting your oil changed, I don't know. But you can imagine a court case that's going on and you have the judge, you have the accuser, you have the accused, and you have the defense. And the case here in this, in this instance is leaning heavily towards conviction of the accused. There's evidence of wrong that's being done, witnesses and all have been called, and it seems like a, a pretty closed case for the accusing side. But as the judge says guilty and is prepared here to pass sentence, well, the defense, the advocate approaches the bench, goes there to the judge. And as he approaches the bench, he understand he's not claiming that, that the, the guilty party is not guilty. He's like, no, they did it. They absolutely blew it. They did it. But yet he steps in and speaks on behalf of the accused. And as he speaks there, he speaks so that the record of wrong is passed away. And instead of a guilty verdict and the appropriate sentencing, what we see instead is the accused is counted as not guilty. Or what's more, they are counted as justified. And this imagery that's to be conjured up of a courtroom, as we speak here, Jesus is our advocate. Understand the courtroom that we speak of here, that we have in our minds, is not unlike the throne room in heaven right now. Or understand the Bible tells us that all are guilty. Again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone in this room, we are all sinners. And even as Christ died for us, even as we are in Christ, well, we still sin. We are still guilty. And just in the same way that in a courtroom, the accuser would come and seek to say that, yes, they are guilty. Well, so too in the throne room of heaven do we have an accuser. You see, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And we know from the Word of God that Satan, he actually has access into the throne room of God. Some of us like to trip out on that, but that's a reality, that he actually has access to the throne room, to the ear of the Lord. And what he does is he goes into the throne room there, he comes to the Lord and he accuses, he points out the wrong that we do, the sin that we all commit. And we are guilty. The accusation is absolutely true. We are guilty according to the word of God. But the Bible also points to the fact that not only do we have an accuser, but we have an advocate. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who in the book of Hebrews, we are told, is standing always there at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He's making intercession for us. 
He's making intercession for us. He's making intercession. He's standing in the gap so that when the accuser comes and says, look what they did. Look how Justin blew it again. Look at how he is acting and what they are doing. Jesus, well, he can come to the Father and say, yeah, he absolutely is, but I've got it covered. I've got it covered. He is our advocate in that heavenly courtroom so that when we sin, when we blow it, what he does is he speaks to the Father and says, it's covered. And the Father, the Bible tells us, doesn't see us as guilty as we are in Jesus Christ, but he sees us clothed in the imputed or the deposited righteousness of Jesus Christ. Meaning that when the Lord sees us as we are in Jesus, he sees Jesus. He sees his son. He sees his righteousness applied to our account. And so John says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. That's an amazing truth. And then as he's doing this, he's pointing here to the reliability of Jesus, to always be there. And you can always bank on Jesus always being there. He backs up the position of the advocate here, though, as he moves on, not just with the reliability of Jesus, but next with the credibility of Jesus. He backs it with the credibility, which shows us that Jesus, well, he has the credentials to be our advocates. Verse 2, it says there one more time, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The other key word for our study today is that of propitiation. It's a fun word. It's halasmos in the Greek, and it's a very uncommon word. It's only used a few times within the New Testament, and it's actually a difficult one to translate, but the best translation of it would just be simply that of an atoning sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. And to put it simply for us today, Jesus has credibility as our advocate because he himself is our sacrifice, and he is a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, Jesus can stand in the gap. He can stand there at the right hand of the Father and make intercession always for us. He can there answer the accuser who comes against us because he took the consequence of our sin. He took the wrath of our sin upon himself on the cross of Calvary. We see from the word of God that on the cross, Jesus, our sinless Savior, he died. And as he died, he took upon himself all of the sin of the world. Everything that you and I commit, would commit, have commit, he took it upon himself. And as well, he took on the full wrath, the full measure of wrath of God the Father. And so doing, what he did is he paid the debt of sin that we cannot pay, that we could not and cannot pay. Jesus satisfied the legal debt for my sin and for your sin, and as such can stand, again, as our advocates between the accuser and the Father. And John makes mention of this. He speaks of the, the reliability and the credibility. But there's something else along with the credibility of Jesus that is so good that we have to hit on. And that is the fact that John makes mention of not just Jesus dying for one person, atoning necessarily just for my sin or for your sin or for John's sin, but Jesus, what does it say? He is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. See, this speaks of the truth of God's love for the whole world. John 3, 16, we love that verse. We know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the whole world, and as well as Jesus died, his sacrifice on the cross, well, it was sufficient to offer salvation to the whole world. And I point this out, and I want us to make sure that we know this, because understand that this simple verse is something that is, is hotly contested, and needlessly so. Where there are some who are within the church who would seek to say that the word whole, it's not referring to the whole world, but it's rather referring to the whole of the believing world. 
Just those who are perhaps, you could say, chosen to believe. That's the whole world that Christ died for. His death made a way for the whole of believers. And I, I want to point out that it is a ridiculous look at this verse. That's ridiculous. And what it does is it takes the plain sense of this word, the good news of the gospel, and it makes it something that it is not. See, when you're reading the Bible, we've said this plenty of times, we're going to say it again, that when the plain sense makes the most sense, well, seek no other sense lest you come up with nonsense. And here, as we see this word, this word whole, it means exactly what it says. Whole, the whole of the world Jesus died for. The whole of the world, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it atoned for the sins of the world, and His blood shed on the cross was sufficient, is sufficient for all who would seek to put their faith in Him. For all within the world that would seek to put their faith in Jesus Christ, His blood satisfies that. And so Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So don't be one who rips others off, or don't get ripped off by others yourself who want to cheapen or shorten the hand of the work of salvation that is in the world currently today. Because the Bible is clear that Christ died, and when He died, He died for the whole world. He is our advocate, and He has the credentials to be so. And John, he writes these things so that we would not sin. He writes these things that the church would be exhorted and encouraged, again, to not sin, and yet to know that when we do, that Jesus, that he is faithful, he is there, and he is worthy. And as we think on these things, these two verses, and again, I know two verses doesn't seem like a lot. If you call Calvary your home, you know that a lot of times we like to move through books relatively quickly. But sometimes, sometimes the, the word necessitates that we slow down and be reminded. And this is one of those spots that is so good to slow down and be reminded. And to be reminded of a couple of things today. To remind it again, and I know we've talked about it often, and we don't like it. But we've been talking about sin. And no one likes sin. No one likes their own sin. Though you may enjoy it for a season, it eventually comes to a point, especially if you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you and seeking to lead you into a new life, well, then you don't like sin. None of us do because what does it do? It only damages. It only causes death. It only tears down. It never builds up. But yet we talk about it and we need to talk about it because it is something that we deal with daily. It is something we deal with in our daily lives and it is something, again, that is within this world, but it is also something that needs to be avoided and is avoidable. And John writes these things so that we who are claiming to be in the light, that we would truly walk in the light, that we would walk with the Lord. And again, the Bible that calls us to honesty, it did last week, and we're going to reconjure that today. And today, the Bible calls us again to honesty. And to where you are in your life right in this moment, be encouraged by the fact that we have a worthy advocate at the right hand of the Father who is there making intercession for us, but who is also desiring to lead us out of our old life and into the new. And John writes these things that we may not sin. He writes these things not to give us a license to sin, but writes it that we may not sin. And in a moment, what we're about to do is we're about to remember that finished work of Jesus. The elements for communion, they're up here today. We're going to participate in that today. That's an amazing thing that we get to do, something we should do often. In fact, it's something that you don't necessarily have to do as you come to church. You know, if you and your family want to have communion, do that because the Lord, He invites us in that. It gives us provision to do that within His words. It's an amazing thing to remember the finished work of Jesus Christ often.
consistently in our lives. And we're about to do that corporately, which is an amazing thing. But before we do, having talked about sin consistently and knowing that we are all sinners, what the Bible calls us to do today is to see the truth that, yes, we are all sinners and that we need to be those as we claim to walk in the lights who, again, are walking honestly. Who are walking honestly and allowing the Lord, who again is our advocate, who is faithful to lead us and to guide us, to know that He today desires to lead us out of sin and into life, further into life with Him. And so as we get ready to wind down and transition into a time of remembering the work that makes Jesus our advocate, it does us well to let the Lord do some heart surgery on us. It does us well to allow the Lord to speak into our lives here and now today and to ask Him and to be honest and to ask Him to be honest with us if there's any way, any form of darkness that we are currently walking in. And as we have today and the ability to deal with it in Jesus Christ, to then let Jesus deal with it. To then let Jesus deal with it. And again, this calls for honesty, and it may be a repetitive thing again, but hey, guess what? Dealing with sin, dealing with our flesh is a day-to-day thing because we're still in the flesh. Until we're with Jesus, our flesh is going to war. Until we're with the Lord, our flesh is going to continually butt up against the Holy Spirit living within our lives. And what is needed, again, is honesty with the Lord. What is needed is honesty and allowing the Lord to speak honestly with us as to where there's any darkness that doesn't belong. And so today, if John has written these things that we may not sin, and yet if we do so, we have an advocate with the Father, understand that today what is in front of us is an opportunity to say, Lord, is there anything within me? Is there anything within me that doesn't need to be there? And if so, Lord, would you deal with it? Would you reveal it to me that I may confess it? Would you reveal it to me that I may deal with it really with you and then walk from this place and into this world that we are called to walk in the light in victoriously? walking victoriously with Him and showing Him to the world around us. And as it was with last week, that honesty between you and the Lord, it's between you and the Lord. But it's something that is so needed for all of us.